to the Coaching Cast, your working from home managers club. Here to check in with you weekly to share your working highs and lows, remind you that you're not alone and that there's many of us outside of your current four walls all trying to be the best coach, leader, manager and human being that we can be. I'm Lisa, founder of Grip Corporate Coaching, personal performance coach, leader and chief eye roller when it comes to all nonsensical corporate mumbo jumbo which suffocates rather than advocates. And I'm Susie, sales and business coach at Future You Business Coaching, currently taking on my hardest coaching assignment to date, parenting a toddler who doesn't take too kindly to being questioned. In this podcast, we aim to explore the leadership and coaching techniques required to navigate and survive the current business environment, presenting different topics each episode, which we will discuss with some special guests along the way, sharing ideas, hints and tips for you to take away and try for yourself. We hope you enjoy listening. We recently asked our Instagram followers what they wanted to hear us talk about on the coaching cast, and they voted for an episode focused on growing talent. So here it is. We will be discussing how to develop individuals, managing individuals who are underperforming, as well as those who are high achievers, and sharing how to get the best out of your team to support their growth and success utilizing coaching. Oh, and ever wondered about succession planning and how to nail it? We'll share our thoughts and ideas on how to put together the best plan for you and your business. Stay with us and enjoy. So before we get into this hot topic around developing talent, Suze, how are you? Morning. Hello. I'm uh, all good. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, had um, a busy couple of weeks. Um, we obviously didn't do How Are You last week because we had the brilliant Rich on with us. Um, we did, we did. So we used as much time as we could in the episode allowance to focus on Rich, which was <laughs> amazing. <laughs> we did indeed. Um, so yeah, had a good few weeks, um, been out and about a little bit more, um, of which one of those great occasions is I got to come and meet you for dinner. <laughs> It was great. It was great. Yeah, I had a lovely time. It was so nice to see each other. It's weird because actually I forgot how long ago it was that we last met up. And because we speak every week and we always see each other via the power of Zoom, I'd, I'd never really feel like I haven't seen you or haven't spoken to you. And then to see you in real life was like, oh, my God, you're, a, you're an actual like <laughs> multiple faceted individual. Like I can see all elements of you rather than just um, your face on a screen or hear your voice. Um, but no, it was amazing. It was great to be able to go out and and have dinner together. I know. I know. It was brilliant. It was such a nice um, opportunity to to chat. We didn't chat actually that much about the podcast. No, we, uh, didn't. we were we 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 didn't we didn't talk about business. We kept it we kept it real. We kept it uh about general life. Yeah, no, um, we did. That is a good point actually. That was good. I kept I did think afterwards I was like, oh maybe we should have used it as an opportunity to catch up about stuff to do with the podcast. But then nah, nah. It was much more fun what we did. Uh, and, and we had a great time despite the weather being rubbish. So obviously when we met up, it was still outside dining only. It was, But yeah. the venue we chose in Cheltenham had the most incredible, like, marquee setup. All within the rules. It had to have an open side. It was all within the rules. But it was huge. <laughs> and the chap who was looking after us, there was like 200, like, people could be in there at any given time. And there was plenty of space. It was amazing. And thankfully, because it was absolutely peeing with rain, so I'm glad we were able to to be inside. Although, yeah, my face, those heaters, 
I do think they're good, but <laughs> why do I seem to, I end up sitting next to them and looking like I've got sunburn by the end of the night, but my toes, I can't feel them anymore. It's the weirdest experience. Uh, oh, well, you were absolutely fine. And as long as uh, you were warm, that's the main thing. So we were, we were sat outside and it was cold. And also I decided to wear, I thought, do you know what? I haven't been out for like eight months. Um, I haven't seen you since October. I'm going to wear a red lipstick. It looks um, amazing. Thanks. But there is a downside to wearing a red lipstick. First of all, I'd forgotten I still have to wear a mask when I'm walking around, <laughs> going to the table, <laughs> going to the loo. <laughs> Secondly, I'd also forgotten about wearing red lipstick when you're out and about when you drink and then it kind of ends up all kind of like smeared. And by the end of the night, I think it just looked like a bit like a clown. You didn't. <laughs> I would have t- if, if it had ended up around your face, I would have told you. I wouldn't have let you sit there looking like the Joker. I would have said, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. Well, if you did have it around your face, I didn't notice. I mean, I didn't have that much to drink. I was driving. I had one. So... I mean, yeah, my eyesight is pretty awful, but I was sitting quite close to you. I thought you looked great. I thought the red lip was a real like power statement. Yeah. I can't, I can't carry a red lip. It ends up everywhere. There's like a famous story of, this is quite a few years ago, when I discovered red lipstick and decided I could start wearing it. And I think right. I was like, I don't know. I mean, this is a long time. It's probably over 10 years ago. I think I was like 26 or something. And me and my friends had organized a big girls night in London and you know thought very highly of ourselves I think we booked to go to embassy which oh. is quite a famous club in London don't go it's I've terrible been to, I've been to embassy <laughs> back in the day yeah I've don't been. go it's, it's rubbish um well yeah I probably and go now. I got overexcited which is quite an, a trait of mine to get overexcited especially on a social occasion was absolutely way too way too drunk by the time we even got to the club um and by the time we left the uh, embassy that red lipstick was all over my face I was wearing it like war paint um <laughs> and yeah it it wasn't pretty it didn't end pretty my friends still laugh about it and whenever there's a red lipstick involved they will just look at me and go yeah at least I can't handle the red lipstick so, <laughs> I think um, it's definitely a danger like there's a hazard that goes attached oh. to wearing a red lip um and I think it's like an easy go-to like you said like a good elevation of the outfit yeah, yeah. like it's a Power simple statement. simple thing to do but there's definitely danger associated with it even more so at the minute when you have to wear a face mask yeah I have to uh, I forgot I about the face mask element yeah I think, yeah piece of advice for everyone out there wear red lipstick responsibly absolutely So last year in 2020, PECON, a leading employee engagement platform, conducted an employee engagement survey with 10 million employees across the globe to understand the current engagement climate climate during the aggressive stages of the COVID pandemic. The survey identified that the one engagement driver which did not improve was growth based on the question, I feel that I'm growing professionally. Based on how the majority of organisations had to rapidly refocus on adjusting successfully to the impact of the pandemic, this is not necessarily surprising. However, I would say from experience, this particular engagement driver, I think, has always been a challenge for organisations, especially those that I've worked in. And it's usually the most sensitive one that doesn't always necessarily get voted that highly. So interestingly, as we opened the episode with, we shared that we conducted an Instagram poll recently 
And our audience shared that growing talent was the key topic that they wanted us to discuss, clearly demonstrating that supporting others to develop is still very much a hot subject for many of us who lead people and a challenge that we don't believe really ever changes. And that's not all that surprising. We're all completely different, multi-layered people, and life is always changing, both for us as the leader and the individual who we're supporting. So it's never going to be a one-size-fits-all. I think leading and growing talent is the key role of nearly all managers and leaders, but it's the most challenging one. So we're going to talk about it today in respect of what can you do differently. Uh, We're going to debate some ideas to support you with your efforts in growing talent. So PECON describes the growth of individuals as follows. Growth is one of the key cornerstones of employee engagement. When employees feel like they have enough opportunities to learn and develop at work, they're much more likely to be productive, motivated and loyal. Sounds obvious. I think we can probably all relate to that. But how would you do it? So Susie and I are both professional coaches and people development is our passion, utilizing the incredibly powerful tool of coaching, which we're going to share with you in a bit more detail during the course of this episode, as we share our experiences, our learnings and some top tips for you to try. So we're going to start first with high achievers, because I think often in organizations, they can sometimes be those who people assume are absolutely fine and don't need support in their development. But I think that can be all too wrong most of the time. So Susie, kick us off. What's your recommended approach to develop high achieving team members? Yeah, so high achievers. Um, First of all, I would say um, there's probably a need to just make sure that everyone's on the same page, especially if you work in an organisation, in terms of what the definition of high achievers are for that team, that function, that organization. So that you're all kind of looking for the same and measuring the same things in terms of the output of high achievement. Mm. For me, based on my experiences of leading people, I'd say there's two elements to what high achieving equates to. The first being around performance. So delivery of those um, metrics that um, each individual is tasked with um, delivering for the business. And the second element, I think, is around potential. And a lot of people um, can get confused by what the term potential means and how they identify it, how they look at whether that person has got potential or not. And all I would say in trying to simplify it is potential is about having whether an individual has the power and also the attitude to want to develop into something um, else. So whether that's a leader in the organization or whether that's a subject matter expert or whether that's a high performing functional uh, expert as as well. Um, So when we're talking about high achievers, I think the first step is just to make sure that everybody's on the same page in terms of the criteria they are using to distinguish who in the organization um, is being identified as high performers and why. So that would be my kind of first um, kind of thought. And I think you're right, what you just said there, there is a myth, I think, that exists. And I've definitely um, observed it, which is around, you know, if you have high performance employees, um, as a manager, they require less work Mm. because, you know, they're there, they're doing it, they're nailing it. Um, But actually, 
that's not quite the case, I don't think, because I think actually if you've got um, a sing- single individual or a team of high performers, they are brilliant, but they can also be very ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be always looking for the next challenge, the way to grow and develop themselves. And so actually retaining them can be quite tricky mm. as a manager. And actually, you know, um, growing their capability, keeping them engaged becomes a kind of an ongoing requirement as somebody who's managing um, someone who's high performing. So I think this myth that you don't need to do much with these individuals and you kind of leave them to it. I think there's mm. an element of that, which is true, but I don't think that's the totality of how you should manage somebody who's um, a high performing individual. So to go back to your your initial question, which was around my recommended approach to, you know, to develop high achieving um, team members. I think for me, there's five quite practical ways that you can support um, mm-hmm. and grow top performers. Uh, so the first one I would say is um, make sure you do appreciate them. Mm-hmm. And you do show it because um, sometimes it can be quite easy that you just take that they are really good and you yeah. don't ever communicate that back to them and yeah. share that. And actually that um, everybody still needs that uh, reinforcement, that feedback, that um, encouragement that they're you know doing a great job. But I think also with that, you need to make sure you are balanced in mm. the way that you do that, because I think. There is a danger when you're managing somebody or a team of people who are high performers that you um, you might treat them differently. So they may, um, for example, if they have a difficult attitude or you allow them to break protocol and you don't face into some of that, you'll start creating um, imbalance in the team and people will start to resent that. Um, mm. And so it's important that you don't then kind of put them on this pedestal where they become this kind of... Um, element of your team which can do no wrong because they are high performing so you need to be balanced in the way that you absolutely encourage and empower them but that you don't kind of overindulge in not facing into issues Mm. if and when they occur as well at the same time yeah I think that's a really great point there's that balance around giving autonomy because they are very much capable of the responsibility and the ownership and taking accountability, but you don't stop challenging them in respect of their behaviors, their choices and giving that feedback. So actually it comes back to the point we we're going to talk a bit more about actually later in this season on feedback, which is actually um, it's being kind to give feedback and, it's important to see it as a gift. And that's at any capability level. Actually, that giving feedback to a high performer is continuing to invest in them and their growth, which is really important. Yeah, no, it really is. Um, And I think, you know, within that, spending that time, uh, let's just take, for example, an individual. So has been identified as high performing and um, spending time with that individual as well through um, you know, one-to-one conversations, learning about their goals and their career aspirations and um, whether that's performance, I'd say, related, but also the way, if this, especially if they're working towards a, a leadership role in terms of their future, how they treat others. Mm. Because actually the way you role model 
leadership behavior in that instance will be how they will we've talked about this before on the podcast will be how they will learn mm-hmm. and grow their own capabilities in that particular area um and so I think it's important that you spend that time you know understanding them as well in a bit more detail where they're aiming for and help them to reach it as well as acknowledging that they still have development areas because everybody does you know yeah, nobody's exactly. a finished product no. and I, I was thinking about this in respect we call it personal development the focus there is personal yeah it's all about the individual yeah. and it's so important to always remember that and recognize it and connect the development to the individual. So make it personal, dig deep. And like we always use the term, be curious, ask the questions, explore, and ensure that whatever plan of action is in place for that person is actually all about them and how it connects to the priorities of the organization so that the two grow together. Yeah, 100%. I think if you're a manager, you know, leading somebody who, like I said, is, is high achieving, you know, indulge in them in that particular moment in time. So what I mean by that is, you know, really get, like you said, get into the depths of where they're aiming for, what their aspirations are, um, where they're trying to get to, and really truly and fully understand that so that you can support them mm-hmm. in getting there. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the other thing I would say, um, my kind of third um, piece is around, I know this is something that Lisa, you are very passionate about and does apply to everybody, but I'd say even more so with a high achiever is not micromanaging. Mm. Yeah. Um, because actually that will completely disengage them. Yeah, 100%. It comes back to that, what you just said a moment ago around how important it is to recognize that a high achiever has the ability to have autonomy. Yeah. And therefore you need to let them have it. And yes, there is a balance so that as you say, you don't overindulge them and you still recognize that they require support and structure and boundaries so that they can be challenged to grow. But it's knowing, you know, where does that line sit? so that they still have the space because you're absolutely right. I think micromanagement is, I actually think it's suffocating at at any particular capability level. Yeah. So it's got to be used very sparingly, not to mention the fact as a leader, if you're micromanaging, it's exhausting for you. What are you doing? I was like, why would you do it? Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's just, why give yourself so much more work to do? But you're absolutely right around, I think this comes back to that, don't micromanage because you'll disengage and equally don't step so far away because you'll think they're you think they're fine and they can just deal with it themselves because that will also disengage because they'll just feel forgotten about so again it's that you've got to get the balance right it is a it is a it is a test and learn isn't it and this is I know we were talking about this before we opened the recording that you know this is a difficult challenging subject and so what we're not saying is we've got the perfect 100% formula because people, personal development, as I said, is a personal thing. It's about the person. Everyone is completely different. And as a manager and a leader, all that you really can ever ensure you're doing is facilitating, directing and influencing because you're never completely in control of that other individual and what they choose to do. It's their choices. All you can do is ensure that you're doing everything you can to support. So, in, in this instance, it's just being clear around, so what is your role in it? And, and how do you define that and manage it to better suit that other person? But it's going to be a test and learn, isn't it? Yeah. And some things in terms of the ways that you can support might suit others more than it yeah. would 
um, you know, the other another individual. And that's because um, their goal might be different. So, yeah. you know, we're not talking here. When we talk about talent, it's not necessarily about finding the next CEO or finding the next director or whatever it is. You know, we said in our intro, uh, and I said before, you know, it, it it's about potential. And mm. that is about potential to be, for example, you know, a subject matter expert as well. So someone who's absolutely amazing and firing on all cylinders and real, really role modeling, um, you know, the, the capabilities in a particular functional area. That's mm. absolutely fine as well. Um, so I think linked to that, you know, my last kind of couple of things I'd say in terms of that approach as uh, around developing these um, high achieving team members would be also thinking about whether you can offer them a challenge to solve. So this again links back to what it is they're aiming for, where they're trying to get to. Um, so they don't become bored and it links to their development areas and they feel again empowered to go away and have they have their own little kind of remit, their own project to go away and really um create themselves, mm. solve themselves, bring others into, communicate on. Um, and I think finding the right project um, for um, an individual can, can be a really important way of, of helping them remain um, you know, focused. However, we've talked about it before. It was one of our bullshit bingos back in season one. It is not just a development opportunity for you to get rid of work. <laughs> yeah. <okay? laughs> yes. Good, good reminder, Suze. Good reminder. <laughs> that is not empowering. Empowering is asking the other individual what they yeah. want and exactly. how are they going to do that. And I do think that is important to delve into, especially with the high achievers. You know, I think it's about challenging them in respect of their comfort zone. Yeah. So we know when we're in our comfort zone, we can just um, coaster a little bit. Yeah. And, and we talked a bit about this, I think, in the growth mindset, because the growth mindset is about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to get into the learning zone, which is what we really want to do with high achievers, because that's where they will start to really accelerate um, the growth of their skill sets and, and, their, and their progression. So I think it's asking those questions around exploring what is what are you comfortable with? Yeah. You know, what do you enjoy doing? What are you comfortable with? What what not scares you? Maybe that's the wrong word, but like what makes you feel uncomfortable? Yeah. And how do you feel about challenging that? Because there's going to be some things we feel uncomfortable around, but we don't want to do anything different because it's just literally something we don't want to do. Yes. And there's no point forcing that with anybody because it's not going to really help them. But if there is an area that they feel they want to be challenged in, that they feel uncomfortable around, but they really want to improve on and feel more confident with, that's the space to to really explore and support them to, to go and try. So I do think it comes back to, and, and links nicely to what you just said about giving high achievers a challenge. I think if you can link that to their comfort zone and pushing them out of it, actually they get to really then experience that learning zone space and, yeah. and will get great reward from it, I think. And I mean, there is an element there as a manager that you have to appreciate that you too will have to take um, um, the opportunity to even challenge your own comfort zone because actually it may be about you giving them a bit more and yeah. taking a risk for yourself. But I think as we've talked about before, it's so important to support that environment for failure so that actually everyone's having that opportunity to learn and you yourself may learn too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, I think just providing those opportunities and that goes back to 
the point we've just discussed around also like not micromanaging mm. and allowing them to go away and you know potentially flourish and, and learn and, and build you know networks meet new people have conversations with people they might not necessarily um have conversations with in their day-to-day remit um you know and and being comfortable that that might take them off into a slightly different direction but that's good for them because it pushes them mm. into learning and into that growth um into that growth area mm. um and yeah, so I think they're kind of the, the main um, the main points I'd say in terms of um, how you can help develop your your high achieving team yeah. members. And I think the key thing being, don't forget about them. They're, yes. they're, they're, they're your most critically important people, especially when we come onto the subject of succession planning. So yeah. I've kind of tied that into this section because it feels obvious that your high performers, you would like to think are those who are your potential successors, whether it's for your role or whether it's for other leadership roles um, around you. And I think my experience with succession planning is it's that element of a role of a leader that often gets forgotten about conveniently or dismissed or parked somewhere or is done very half-heartedly. And then when people changes happen and people move on, there's this like mad dash to try and think, well, who could fill this and how are we going to sort this out? And too often then organisations look externally, which I think is such a shame. So it'd be good to get your thoughts around this, this notion of succession planning and yeah. what it means and how to and how to do it, I guess. I'm not necessarily sure I've got all the answers. I've got some ideas, but it's like, how do you do <laughs> succession planning? <laughs> well, I don't know if I have all the answers <laughs> either, um, but I do have some experience in this area. And I have to say, I worked for somebody, uh, a manager who was absolutely amazing at doing this. It was a lady called Hannah Norbury. And um, she was really, really good at making succession planning be at the forefront as a, of us as a leadership team. Mm. and kind of always keeping it active and thinking those two steps ahead um because it is a ripple effect mm. because if you you know if you move somebody to fill a role because somebody goes or you know leaves retires etc and um, there's a then a subsequent ripple effect so it kind of works down the line as well um but before i get into it i think again it's it's worth probably just defining what we mean by a succession plan because i know you work in a big organization um you'll probably have an understanding of what that is and what the benefits are but if you work for a smaller organization it might not be something that's necessarily there and, and in practice mm-hmm. um so for us and my experience of a succession plan is basically a strategy for um passing on key roles within the business if anybody leaves so that the business is still running smoothly um, you have people in the pipeline that you focus on and kind of get ready to move into those critical roles so essentially the business doesn't come to a grinding halt because somebody leaves (laughs) yeah um thanks for defining that it's really helpful Suze no worries so it's basically kind of you know looking at internal successes and internal pipeline uh, of people and a pool of people who have diverse skills um who have um a potential to move into different um functional areas for example um and you know are ready and willing to to go and and do that when it's needed um and i also think that the key thing is around your your 
ta- what we would call a, your talent management program would link into this as well. So again, for anybody who doesn't work in a big organization, your talent management program tends to be um, looking at the skill set that, that sits within your business. So what the things that as a business and the individuals and teams do really well, but also gaps where there might be. Uh, and um, how you utilize those skills uh, and who are the people that, uh, again, are high performing and might then lead into those pool of people that sit within your succession planning. So hopefully I've kind of explained that well enough, Um, but they essentially all link together. Um, And what I would say in terms of, based on my experiences of, of building a succession plan, the first thing I'd say is be proactive because the worst thing you can possibly do is be reactive because mm. then you're just trying to find people mm. <laughs> to yeah. go into roles and that's not the right way of, and not the right premise of what a, six, a good succession plan is it's about forward thinking and looking at those key roles and considering you know what is the day-to-day impact of those roles if somebody left how would it impact the business operation and actually what are the skills required and, and focusing it more on that on those skill sets. So that's the current skills and maybe future skills in terms of your ambitions for where that that um, role needs to go, for example. Mm. Uh, but being proactive about that and spending some time as a leader to really think about, okay, what is my plan B if I need to pull it out one day and and, and implement it. Mm. Um, and I think I touched upon it before, but that ripple effect. So map out that ripple effect. So if you've got some key roles identified, you've got an idea maybe of who might go in and fill those. What is then the subsequent plan behind that for their roles, for the people who have moved and mapping out that ripple effect uh, and, and linking that back into um, individuals' career goals. And that's where the talent management program piece mm. becomes really important because you will have captured that mm. through that process. Mm. Um. And then some of the other things I, I've found work is, is having a development focus. So thinking about if, so let's take, for example, we, we've identified an individual, yeah? And um, they've got, we think they've got the performance and the potential capability to go into a more senior leadership role, okay? Um, okay, well, how can we give them some experience to practice a little bit of that? Yeah. So thinking about, you know, they may be able to be a mentor, for somebody and that might help them with their own leadership skills such as coaching and, and facilitating those conversations um putting them on a secondment so it could be that they they work in sales but they want to go and um, understand a little bit more about um research and development so seconding them into research and development to learn about that functional area and build their knowledge um you could give them a trial run so you know if somebody goes off on holiday or on maternity cover you know you might want to think about how you can move people around to gain those experiences whilst um giving them the opportunity to learn in a safe environment and demonstrate some of their potential as well um and then the other thing i would say based on my own experience is something that falls off the radar a lot because you just get as a leader wrapped up in day-to-day life of running a team and delivering etc um, but it's really critical and that's about thinking about your own successor and who that's going to be because a lot of the time when we're planning and being proactive and thinking about our succession plan we don't include ourselves in mm-hmm. it yeah um and it's critical that we do because we might go and want to go and do something else and, yeah and do you know what i think it actually pushes you yourself to think about where you might go next Mm. and to challenge yourself 
And I think it is a bit of an uncomfortable area for some individuals because they find that a strange notion to want to replace themselves. But actually, it's recognizing this is about you also growing and moving on and getting and achieving more. And like you said, the ripple effect, the ripple effect can go both ways. You can be pushed up if you yourself are thinking about your development, your progression, uh, as well as go down in terms of if you were to move on. What does that mean for those who you lead and vice, you know, and further down? And I think actually it comes back to that role modeling piece. If you're role modeling ambition and the, the the want to learn to grow to to do more to be even better others will see that and it creates that mirroring and other people will do the same I know it's really interesting when you talk about this because I've been I've experienced being a successor and being supported um in my growth as part of the plan yeah and the one um, the one thing I think that worked the best in my scenario, which really enabled me to grow and develop as quickly as I did, was the fact that my line manager treated me as if I was um, already in that role day yeah. to day. So, yes, that was challenging in some respects because it was pushing me daily, but it supported me to act as if, which we talk about a lot in NLP, yeah. uh, so neuro-linguistic programming, sorry about showing the acronym, um, is actually act as if you are doing it already because eventually it will become habitual and you yeah. will be that individual um, over time. And I do think when it comes to growing talent, especially in respect of leadership and managing people, the more you give individuals the opportunity to try it on you use that word like practice and which I totally agree the more you're giving them the opportunity to actually live and breathe it and and to be able to adopt it quicker yeah because I think we do see sometimes people take such a significant jump from um leading themselves to suddenly leading people and it is a massive shift it's not something that happens that easily and yet the more you have the opportunity to practice those skills and to have the opportunities to experience the scenarios and take on a bit of responsibility and accountability gradually over time, the more you will develop the skills a, a lot quicker. Um, yeah. and, I, and I definitely think that was my experience in, in, this, in, the, in this particular organisation I'm thinking of, because actually by the time then an opportunity came for me to step up into the next level and to become a leader of, of, of managers, I was ready yeah. And I felt capable to do it. And it meant actually not only did I secure the role and it was more guaranteed, but actually I was able to do it a lot quicker. I wasn't learning completely on the job, which was clearly a lot more seamless, a lot more efficient and effective for the organization, as well as my experience and the experience of those that I was I was looking after. So I think it's really important, but really love how you've described that whole succession planning and from your experience, it's got to be part of the, the leadership agenda and the yeah. culture that you're working in. So it's much more of a current, always proactive topic, not, yeah. as you said, a reactive one, which is so important. Yeah. So, so we've talked about high performance and we've talked about the link to succession planning. So let's get into some of the more gritty stuff. Let's talk about those individuals who require further support. And I would say, let's start with um, those who require support where we've identified that they want to be better. We are yeah. going to touch upon 
when you're dealing with an individual who doesn't display that willingness, that attitude that we're looking for, which is so important, because that is a slightly different situation and a little bit more challenging. So we'll yeah. start with the, the lower performers where there is a willingness to, to improve. So I think you, you, you touched upon it there, actually, you used the word support. And that is critical um, for these um, individuals. And I think when you identify an individual who needs some further support, um, it can be wrapped up into the term performance management. Mm. And that term, uh, again, is a bit of a, a myth surrounding it, can um, create kind of thoughts around you know, termination of employment. This is really formal. Oh, my it's goodness. It's an emotive word, isn't it? It's yeah. very emotive. A bit like Absolutely. the word feedback absolutely you know, we all move to the negative <laughs> yeah 100 percent um but it doesn't have to be because actually just to kind of demystify it a little bit um there's normally around four to five steps in a performance management process from start to finish and I would say and in my experience the first kind of two or three steps are very informal steps and actually their focus is all about providing support to the individual mm. um that's what it should it's be not, about <laughs> yeah it should be about that's what it should be yeah. about yeah good 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 clarification <laughs> there um and um you know and so i think as a manager and also as a an individual if you're going through it you can think, oh my goodness, this is going to be really tough and really negative for, for everybody involved. And what I would say is if it's done correctly and done right, and the emphasis up front is about support and helping mm. that individual, you know, grow and become better, but also as a leader, understanding what's going on for that individual up front as well. It doesn't have to be anything scary mm. and anything negative and formal. Mm, totally um, agree and I think you know the key is that first step so an informal intervention um in which I would say a series of one-to-one -one conversations and again you know that that can be done remotely because I know a lot of us are still working remotely it can be done face-to-face -face and brilliant um and it's about that ongoing support and ongoing feedback to that individual and really really seeking to understand um you know, what is going on for that particular individual and getting under the skin of, okay, um, you know, what's happening, especially if you've noticed a change in behavior mm, or a mm. change in something, something will have triggered that. Mm, and that's where that essentially coaching conversation becomes so crucial in the way that you then move forward. Mm. Um, and, and your role as a, a manager, um, is so important at this initial stage and it's about showing compassion and, and seeking to understand and, and showing empathy I think actually mm. at this point yeah. you might not show it further down the line if, you know <laughs> depending where you get to yeah. but at this point in at the start of the process the more empathy I think you can demonstrate towards that individual I genuinely think in my experience the better the outcome will, will be yeah I totally agree I think in these scenarios, it's obviously a very difficult one because ultimately this individual's performance impacts your own performance. It impacts the wider team. And if they are struggling, it will be potentially uh, commenting on the whole, the whole you know, uh, team and yourself as well inadvertently. 
because you know they are one critical part of the whole piece and yeah. in a team it's about everybody together so it can be really important just to I think in yourself check in and manage your emotional state because it's about as you've said I think just putting aside your frustrations for the moment because you need to get under the skin of what's really going on and it's so important to start there to then enable yourself with this individual to create the, the to create the right plan of action going forwards. I yeah. think the emphasis on empowering individuals is exactly the same for a low performer as it is a high performer. That doesn't change because, as I sort of said before, personal development is about the person and one is getting to understand what is going to work for them, but two is putting the emphasis that actually they are accountable for their performance and they are in control of it. You, they have you to support them, absolutely. And I think having the knowledge that you're on their side and that you believe in them, I think that word believe and belief is really critical here, is going to be so um, so much of a big contributor to what happens next. But they have to recognise it is down to them as well. Like it's their choice what happens next. And they have to have a massive um, input into the plan to go forward mm-hmm. with. So it's very clear that it is theirs to own and it is down to the actions that they're going to take. Because I think also the other side to that is it's got to be realistic, mm-hmm. you know, Yes, you may want them to go from here to here, you know, as quickly as possible, but you too have to manage your expectations. So it is a bit of give and take, I think, at this stage. Um, it is. So I think you asked that great question, like what's going on for them right now? I think that is the, a great question to ask. And like, what's stopping them? Yeah. You know, what's stopping them? And then thinking about when building the plan of action and that realism, you know, what one step could they take to improve their current performance? You know, what does that look like? What action are they going to take to support it? Who can help them? You know, and, you know, creating that, that plan with those types of sort of coaching questions. And I think as a manager as well, just making sure you have been clear around your expectation. Yeah, 100%. And why you have that expectation. Mm. So there may be things... So let's take, for example, you know, if somebody's um, not sent you um, or communicated that they're not going to send you a report, for example, mm. that might then have knock on effects for you if you mm. don't have that information. Yeah, yeah. That individual might not know that or they understand that. Mm. So I think as a, a manager, you're very clear on the expectation and why it's important that this is done and this is, you know, timely and this needs to be communicated about. And, you know, if you, if there is an issue, the other kind of thing I'd say as a manager, if you're facing this right now, is please make sure you address it immediately in a one-to-one. Mm. Don't let it fester. Don't let it build and build and build and build. And when you do address it with them, do so in a very factual way. Try not to use emotive language. Use examples of... Um, you know, where you've observed certain behavior or you've seen certain things or um, you've uh, heard certain language, you know, and, and try and write that down in the moments. So you've got the exact kind of example to give to the individual. Um, and I think, you know, talk to them about it. Like, did they realize that that's what they were doing? Um, 
do they have a viewpoint around it and and use that as kind of like mm. the center point of your conversation mm. and getting them to try and and take a breath and kind of understand their viewpoint around that particular um piece and and just making sure that feedback is as factual as possible and gives that context gives that understanding yeah uh, as much as you possibly can yeah because it just it aids their learning yeah you know because I think often those who are struggling what they need support with is clarity because I truly believe that people do not come to work to do a bad job intentionally yeah, I agree you know, I, I truly believe people want to do well and when someone isn't it's it's acknowledging how they're feeling about that because I very much doubt they're feeling good and the problem is is once we start getting into a negative space we get stuck in our heads in that space and it becomes perpetual so I think actually creating clarity around you know what is expected of them what is the priority you know giving them support giving them guidelines and if you like milestones setting clear milestones so they can see their progress you can help them to see their progress you can see them you can help them to see where they need to get to yeah and then encouraging them to own how they're going to do that because once they achieve it at the end that'll be such an incredibly empowerful experience for them to see what they themselves have done to, and acknowledge their their capabilities and their strengths because you know when you're in that low space it completely destroys your confidence and it's about rebuilding yeah. that at the same time while trying to get the result you want um so I think that feedback then goes hand in hand around the clarity so that they can see what yeah. is not working and they can therefore have the support to do something different about that so I think that's yeah it's really important so what about individuals though who are not showing that willingness to change. They're not demonstrating that more appropriate attitude to turn it round. Mm. What do we do then? <laughs> so I'm not going to lie. It's challenging <laughs> as, as a manager. Yeah. You have somebody like that in your team mm. or that you're managing. Um, and I think navigating it when somebody has not in all instances, but in some instances, low levels of self-awareness mm. is really tricky. And I think just acknowledging that upfront as a manager, I'm not saying you let that blur your mindset around what you then do, but I think it's, you know, perhaps that moment where it's prudent to think about support for yourself mm. as well yeah, um, in terms of how you navigate this and move this forward working with the other individual absolutely um but in some instances like I said not all it it can be extremely energy consuming mm. and time consuming mm. when you're when you're kind of dealing with somebody um who doesn't necessarily have that interest in in changing so based on my experience I'd say there's probably a couple of things so one is you really need to ask yourself the question around whether you have given that individual a chance to realign and work on themselves. Because if you have, brilliant, okay, there are then a subsequent kind of number of next steps. But if you haven't and you're expecting that person, they're resisting improving or um, resisting taking action and moving forward with the plan that you've created, there's something still there. Yeah, something's missing. That, yeah, yeah, that's blocking them. Yeah. 
And I would say, actually, if that is if, if that is the conclusion you've reached, honestly, it's returning to those points we've just talked about exactly. around managing yeah. lower performers. Yeah. 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 And does that person, you know, truly understand the importance of why they need to change yeah. and what they need to change for and how mm. they're going to get there? Um, and I think, you know, if you feel that you have done that and you truly, you know, have tried as much as you can, you've been empathetic, you've understood, then you patiently need to stand your ground. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is when you have to start, you know, really utilizing the resources within your organization yeah. to put steps in place that show there are consequences to the decisions this individual's making. I think it's interesting. I think with these types of individuals, I actually think the feedback piece becomes even more critical and in terms of sharing the reality of the situation yeah. and being bold around that because actually they themselves are being bold in the attitude they're choosing to take because mm-hmm. actually the consequences could be quite detrimental. So actually I think it's about turning that back round and saying, you know, this is what I'm observing this is the impact it's having. And actually, sometimes if there is that real reluctance, I would challenge with how is this serving you, this behavior? Like mm. really turn it on them and, and get them to answer that challenge question. And I think just to build on the feedback piece is thinking about gaining feedback from um, people who aren't just necessarily kind of you as, yeah, as, absolutely. as their manager. That's a really good point, yeah. <clears throat> so because if this is say it's a behavioral thing mm. and it's something that's being observed by a lot of different people in different functions outside of your direct team mm. try and create you know gain feedback to help that individual grow from people outside so they don't just think it's you who yeah, thinks this that's a great point like other perspectives to help give them yeah. more of yeah. a a better understanding no it's great and actually that in itself supports you as yes. a leader because these can be quite very difficult situations for you yourself and it's about how do you support you yeah yeah and and you know it it is hard and I think it is challenging try not to take it too personally because although it might feel like it is about you and you are involved actually their resistance isn't about you it's about them yeah, yeah. um and trying to remember and that and you know gaining support to help you with moving that forward is, is so so important and take a deep breath like because there will be times where you come away from a conversation um and it may not have gone how you were expecting mm. uh it's gone in a slightly different direction things have got emotional um you know and, and that is tough on a manager as well because mm. you're yeah. you you know you're a manager so you care about people yeah otherwise absolutely. you probably wouldn't be in that role yeah so exactly no totally. it's hard to not then take it on board yourself yeah, yeah. Take a deep breath. Good tip. So yeah. we've covered a lot of a, a lot of subjects there. We'll summarise that into our top tips, and we will share that with you at the end of the episode. Thanks, Suze. Great conversation. Now, time for this week's listener question. This is where you, the listener, send us your workplace dilemmas or questions, and we try and answer them and offer some suggestions. Our question this week is from Chris in Sheffield. Hi Susie, hi Lisa, great podcast. I'm Chris from Sheffield and my question to you is, we we run a team of telephony salespeople um, who are quite heavy reliant on their management and for sort of advice and support. Have you got any advice for us um, to help them become more self-sufficient in the role? Okay. 
Lisa, what are your thoughts for Chris on this one? It's really interesting, actually. So in uh, one of my previous roles, when I worked for a big energy company, I uh, managed the customer services department. And actually, we had the majority of individuals working on the phone. And so it was a a bit like a call center, but I wouldn't have classified it as that because it was one-to-one account management for business customers. And actually, this came up as a challenge for us uh, on multiple occasions around creating more accountability from individuals because there were lots of them and we had managers uh, arranged around the department to manage small subsets of these and then it was myself and a, and a couple of other senior managers who oversaw the department with our head off and based on the challenging scenarios we were facing into at the time actually it was so important that individuals were able to take accountability for themselves because they were right on the front line having to deal with customers and their issues. And so for efficiency sake, we really needed to grow this culture of um, individuals taking responsibility because it was tough, it was fast moving and customers wanted answers there and then. So it is a challenge I'm familiar with. So I can can relate to this with Chris um, completely. So in terms of offering my thoughts around this, the advice I can give you is really thinking about the training that individuals are given right up front so it is going to take some investment time and it is thinking about how do you best do this to ensure that actually it doesn't impact the service offering to customers because when when you've got a team based on the phone and the phones are going that is a tricky that is a tricky situation but I think it's about thinking about the long game it's like short-term challenges pain potentially for a long-term like positive outcome and I think the way in which we dealt with it was we structured training very specifically not just around the technique of answering the phone and not just around the solution um in terms of the 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 more uh, technical element of the role it was thinking about how you yourself could really conduct um how you behaved on the phone and how you could really think about the actions that you could take to support the customer at the end of the phone and how you could uh, equip yourself to be able to do that. So we actually posed those questions to the individuals as part of their training. We gave them the basic knowledge to start with because you have to start somewhere. And then we put those questions to them and got them to really think about how they could um, come up with the solutions on their own in any given situation. Um, We also um, got them to buddy up with one another so that they always had support um, along their line of desks and they could ask each other for help and support at any given time rather than immediately going to a manager. um, We got them involved on a daily basis in um, briefings. So every morning the management team and I would get in front of the whole team and we'd talk about the current performance of the team. We'd talk about hot topics. We'd talk about any known challenges that we were aware of. So they were continue being fed information because actually information empowers, I think. The more you know and understand, the more you have choices around what you can do. And actually keeping them really informed in the organization, what was going on, what was happening, any known system problems, any um, current hot topics for customers really kept them you know with a lot of information it meant that when something came up they knew what they could do because we'd already told them rather than having to react and then running around trying to find the answer I think those are the sort of the key things I can offer that we did that I know really helped to improve 
the overall um, accountability within the team. And I do think it was continually encouraging the managers to focus on spending time with their team, being available and present, but from an observation point of view, so they could see what was going on and they could then utilize that to inform their one-to-ones with individuals, providing really clear, specific feedback, but then also inform the training that was required ongoing because we never stopped that training piece because it was so important to keep enforcing um, skill sets. So that's my offer for Chris and Sheffield. Brilliant. That's a really comprehensive answer. And I think it's some great. Thanks, Suze. I'll try my best. In there. <laughs> For Chris to take away. Definitely. Well, oh. I, I hope that helps, Chris, in terms of a few ideas uh, for you to go away and, and try. If those of you who are listening and have your own thoughts on this and would like to share or have a question for us to answer in a future listener question feature, then please do get in touch. You can email us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk or send us a message on Instagram at thecoachingcast. <laughs> It's now time for Bullshit Bingo, where we call out phrases which get commonly used in the workplace, which make us cringe. Today's Bullshit Bingo is give it 110%. What do you think, Suze? I think it should be said just like that as well. I think this is really American, this one. Like, give it 110%. Oh, who even uses this? I, I mean, don't know. oh, my goodness. Um, Go first team. of all, give it 110. Give it 110. Give it 110. Oh, it's not even factually correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh god it's... we're going back down the literal route aren't we i know but sorry I that's my you fault. and i you are you and i are though say it as you see it yeah we're very straightforward and that's why i think these types of bullshit bingos crack us up because we're just like what and it's not saying it as you see it and this sort of stuff oh god people just hate this don't they whoever likes 110 percent. it's i swear it's been coined by like every american sports movie ever made Oh yeah, 100%. And also like big Ameri- um, American kind of like coaches. Oh yeah. I mean? oh, God. Kind of yeah. like life coaches who yeah. get into kind of like your mindset and achieving your goals. <laughs> and this is like, give it 110% and we'll all be millionaires by next yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. And woo, let's it, go. It sounds, it sounds totally, um, it sounds totally implausible because as you said, you're like, well, it doesn't really exist. It's not a thing. So that's it. It's just like, nah, uh-uh. computer says no on this Yeah. One. It, it it definitely wouldn't get me energized and motivated, no. I have to say, because I'd be literally again, like, because I'm so simple and straightforward. I'd be like, well, that's not possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got nothing left. 100% is good enough. Yeah. That's what, that's what I feel sad about, actually. I'll tell you that's what exactly. it is. When did 100% stop being enough? When did 100% stop being enough? Exactly. Terrible. Isn't that awful? Oh, like, anyway, I don't want to give it another 10%. I've already got to 100. Give me yeah, a break, quite. guys. When is enough enough? Right, 110% in the bin. Drop the mic. Boof. So we're coming to the end of today's episode where we've been discussing the topic of growing and developing talent. Our tips from today for you to try are... Look at this condensed on the board. I've written loads on it. So just to be clear, the principles are in here in the corner. It's all about being supportive, being proactive and having belief. So for high performance, we've said, number one, give them a challenge which connects to development to their development area to provide autonomy, ownership and push them into the learning zone. And remember to continually support them. They need support just like anybody else and celebrate their wins and acknowledge their efforts. 
because that will really keep them motivated, engaged. Um, the second one that relates to this is being really proactive about your succession plan. And as Susie described, mapping it out, map out your ripples. So you're really clear about who your individuals are going to be and how you're going to support them to progress up into those critical positions at the right moment. For your low performers, that first critical step is all about the informal intervention and really seeking to understand what's going on. So as we always say, be curious, use those questions to explore what's happening for them. Because as soon as you get the clarity, you get the facts, you'll be able to put together a much more effective plan to support them to get out of that situation. And the second step, this is for those who are not showing the willingness to change, is don't take it personally. Just take a deep breath and get support for you to be able to manage the situation. And remember to remain objective at all times. As well as the top tips, we've got some coaching questions to support you. So if you're high achievers, to really get them thinking about their comfort zone and getting themselves challenged in their learning zone, ask them, what makes you feel uncomfortable? What could you do to enable you to be one step closer to feeling comfortable in this area? And the second step of that is what would this give you? So really get them to focus on the outcomes they're wanting to achieve. For the lower performers, ask the question, what is happening for you right now? Secondly, how is choosing to behave this way servicing you? And that's probably the question for some of your more challenging individuals who are not showing that willingness to learn and might not be showing that self-awareness to change. And then some questions for yourself. What can you do differently to influence the change you want to see in others? And secondly, what will taking this action achieve and critically for whom? And I think ask that question to see, actually, are you taking the right approach to actually benefit others? Because actually supporting other people will support you as well in the long term. So we hope you enjoyed today and have some new ideas to take away and try for yourselves. If you have any questions, thoughts or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk or you can find us on Instagram at thecoachingcast. Your support means everything. Therefore, if you like what you've heard, then give us a follow on Instagram at The Coaching Cast. Leave us a review on Apple or Google Podcasts. And most importantly, subscribe to future episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts and also on YouTube by searching The Coaching Cast. So we're really excited to announce that rapper, author, podcaster and entrepreneur Zuby will be joining us next week to share his entrepreneurial journey and how he has established his own brand over the last 10 years. Very excited. Very excited. He's too cool. He's too cool for me. So this is going to be probably a really embarrassing episode for me. I'm just going to shut up. Um, I know, it's too cool for both of us, I think. Oh, well. well it's, hopefully it will elevate our status. Uh, so really looking forward to meeting Zuby. Um, we both love music, as those of you who listen will know from previous episodes, and we always use it to motivate and energize us. So we like to finish each of our episodes with our personal song recommendation, giving all of us positivity and energy as we move into our next Zoom or team meeting. My choice this week is Unfinished Sympathy by Massive Attack. I love this song. So I really hope you go off and listen and enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening on this week's episode. Have a great week. And remember, you've got this.